no repeat pictures this week, but last week did demonstrate uh, that it's quite possible to use something in a purpose that it's not designed for. If you weren't here last week, uh, you missed out. This doesn't make any sense to you. But you can not just misuse something for a silly purpose. That can be funny. Uh, But it is tragic when something that's supposed to be used for one purpose, supposed to be used for a good purpose, uh, is not just misused for a silly purpose, but is abused and used for a contrary purpose. Uh, That which ought to be used to build, used to destroy. That which ought to be used to comfort or protect, used for harm. And that's a reality that we face in the world in which we live, a fallen world in which we live. The gospel proclaims that our Lord Jesus Christ rules over all things. And it promises, that same gospel promises that he will transform all things in heaven and on earth. And that same gospel, cosmic in its scope, has come to us and has transformed us and is now in the process of transforming our homes, even at the level of the most basic relationships. That's my attempt at summarizing Colossians so far to get us up to our text this morning. In the Roman city of Colossae 2,000 years ago, those most basic household relationships included wives and husbands, children and parents, masters and bondservants. We've covered the first two of those already the last two weeks, and today I want to look at the third of those relationships, masters and bondservants. But before we do that, I want to paint a bigger picture that I think encompasses this whole section, 18 and on, and even beyond that. Husband, father, master. These are three very potent terms. Uh, that tend to bring up very clear images in our minds. And as we've discussed the last few weeks, each of these titles or roles are images of God. They are shadows that point us to God and rightly understood teach us about God. All good things that we enjoy in life come from God and are meant to point us to God. And certainly that is true of roles like these that are in the households of people around the world. But all good things in God's world have been corrupted. And that includes the roles of husband, father, and master. And who they image or who they reflect husband. In both the Old and the New Testaments, God refers to himself as the husband of his people. We see that clearly in Ephesians chapter 5. Keith referenced this passage. Uh, Christ is the head and husband of his bride, the church. So God is the ultimate loving husband. Husband over husbands, husbands husband of husbands, husband from whom all husbands flow, right? When I say the name Baal, Baal, if you want to make it sound more intellectual, when I say the name Baal, you probably think of the idol 
worshipped by the Canaanites in the Old Testament, right? The worship of Baal. And you'd be correct. My mind goes to wicked King Ahab, his wicked wife Jezebel, cutting off the worship of Yahweh in Israel and replacing it uh, with the worship of Baal. But did you know that Baal is not just the name of a false god like Zeus or like Diana? Baal is a title. It's a title that can be translated as husband. So by worshiping Baal, the Canaanites and the Israelites, unfaithfully, the Canaanites saw themselves in a way as spiritually married to him. And Satan stands behind all idols, all false gods. This means that Satan is the ultimate Baal the ultimate idolatrous husband. Father. Jesus spoke often of the fatherhood of God, not just of himself, but the fatherhood of God over his people. He spoke not only to God as his own father, he also, like we talked about today in our catechism reading, he called on us or commanded us as his people to approach God in prayer as our Father in heaven. God is the ultimate loving Father. Jesus also used this same image or the same relationship of fatherhood to refer to Satan. In John 8 44, we read of Jesus telling his enemies, You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is the ultimate wicked father. Master. We frequently come across the image of slavery in the Bible. Earlier in John 8, just read from there, Jesus said that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Both Paul and Peter take up this same theme in their New Testament writings. And when someone is a slave to sin, you could say that their master is their own sinful desires. But we also know that there is one at work in our evil desires, stoking them and enticing us with them. And that one who stokes our evil desires, who enslaves us to them further and entices us with them is the devil. Satan is the ultimate evil master of all those who are enslaved to sin. And yet we see the term Lord applied to God, both God the Father and to God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is the same word as master. So God is the ultimate loving, kind master who calls for service from his people. On the one hand, we have God as the husband, father, and master. And on the other hand, we have Satan as a husband, father, and master. Now, these two aren't equal in some kind of yin, yang, light, darkness, good versus evil, 
force versus dark side kind of a way. It's not the, the opposition of two equals. God is not just greater than Satan as husband, father, master, or any other way. God's not just greater. He is first. He is ultimate. God created these roles to image him and to image his relationship to us. God created and Satan corrupted through sin. Satan is a counterfeit husband, father, and master. A twisted, perverted, abominable, what other words can we throw in there? Distortion and destruction of what God created as roles with a purpose of imaging himself. That's what we see at play in the world. Even though they are not equal and opposite forces, we still have husband, father, and master imaging God or husband, father, and master imaging Satan. All husbands, all fathers, and all masters will image or reflect either one or the other. There's no neutrality. Husbands, fathers, masters, reflecting or imaging God as those roles were created to be, or in falling short of that, are actually reflecting and imaging Satan. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to chapter 4, verse 1. Look at that. We're into chapter 4. We're on the, we're on the home stretch. We're going to, fin- Lord willing, we'll finish this inside of one calendar year. Phew. But not if I keep talking about it. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Since Adam's first sin in the garden, all of humanity has lived in a fallen world, a world corrupted by sin. This is true of us individually, every human, you and I, everyone else, we are sinners. This is also true collectively of humanity. Sinful humans gathered together constitute what the Bible sometimes calls the world, And this doesn't refer just to planet Earth as opposed to Mars or Neptune. Instead, the world refers to the fallen systems that sinful humans gather themselves into, systems that are contrary to God and to his purposes. And ruling over these systems made up of sinful individuals, sinful individuals gathered together into sinful systems, and ruling over these worldly systems is Satan. The devil, referred to as the prince of the power of the air and the god of this world. All systems, all cultures, all countries, all everything made up of humans, they all have structures. Okay? Maybe structures and, and systems could be some of the same things. They're just structures. There are uh, 
similar pieces or building blocks that make up these humans that are gathered together into these things. Structures like a marriage between a husband and a wife. Structures like a family with parents and children. Uh, A country's government with leaders and citizens. And then the structure that we see here in Colossians 3 and 4 of masters and bondservants or slaves. From top to bottom, these structures, every single one of them, structures in this fallen world, they have all been corrupted. They are made up of sinful individuals gathered into sinful societies influenced by a sinful leader. And so because of the reality of sin in a fallen world, all husbands will fail to image God as husband and will instead image Satan because all husbands are sinners. All fathers will fail to reflect God's fatherhood and will instead reflect Satan because all fathers are sinners. And the same goes for all earthly masters. They will all fail to image God as master and will instead image Satan because all masters are sinners. Do you hear the, the similarity between each of these things? And it is not at all difficult to see this, that structures in a fallen world such as we live in, they will tend, they are bent toward imaging and reflecting Satan, not just because of his leadership, but because of his leadership over the societies made up of sinners. A sinner cannot properly reflect a sinless God. So we will tend to misuse and abuse all of these roles that were meant to accomplish something different. Structures in this fallen world, they will always tend toward imaging or reflecting Satan. And as we think about specifically today, that master-slave or master-bond-servant relationship, it's not at all difficult to see this played out, but not just there. Each of these, these three weeks, as we've thought about these elements of homes, these, these structures, these relationships between individual people, we can see examples of this satanic tendency played out by abusive husbands played out by harsh and provoking fathers and dehumanizing masters as well. We see this throughout the Bible and throughout the rest of history. Is it hard to imagine a relationship of a master to a bondservant as being tending toward imaging or reflecting Satan? Pharaoh and his taskmasters in Egypt clearly imaged Satan in their cruel, murderous treatment of the enslaved Israelites. Right? That he is a satanic figure, no question, right? And so that slavery that was there, structure in a fallen world, obviously and clearly reflecting, imaging Satan, not imaging God. When we think of slavery, we don't go back to Egypt. When we think of slavery, we think of the enslavement of Africans in our own country. That's what comes to our mind anytime you hear the word master, anytime you hear the word slave, or even if you hear the word bondservant. And no great amount of study is necessary to see that no part of that practice imaged or reflected God. That is not what it did. Whenever an idea or a system rejects or reduces the humanity and value of one who is created in God's image, it cannot be glorifying to God. What was the percentage of personhood that they were granted? An image bearer. What value did they have as a human being? 
entire value as one who imaged God. Every human being, old and young, so we see that abused in our culture too. So hear this, every human being, old and young, male or female, red, brown, yellow, black, and white, every human being bears the stamp of God's image on them and must be treated as valuable. Right? So we don't just chuck people into a facility to just go and die because they're image bearers. And we don't end their life any time prior to birth because they're humans and they have image. And we can't just be like, oh, well, you're a man, so you're more valuable. Or you're a woman, you're less valuable. Right? That's dehumanizing. That's devaluing because they have value not because they're male or female, because they're young or old, or because they can contribute to society. They're made in God's image and therefore they are valuable. And the same is true of all of the variety of skin colors that we see across this. Because if someone with more or less melanin somehow becomes like more valuable, but that's what happens throughout structures in a fallen world, tending toward, right, blaspheming God's image held onto people, individuals, and reflecting Satan in doing so. Those type of systems made up of sinful individuals gathered together into sinful societies, ruled over by a sinful, satanic, false God, will always tend to defy God. That's just what happens. You know, and slavery did not end in the 19th century. It continues worldwide to this very day, even in this very country. And one of the most heinous and evil ways it continues is in the trafficking of women and children into prostitution and for the production of pornography. Let us hear and consider carefully And this structure, this ongoing slavery, it's not the only type, but it's just a particularly pernicious and perhaps ignored type of slavery that's happening right now in our area, in our country, and in our world, so clearly images Satan. You know, in fact, all structures in a fallen world occupied by sinful humans will tend toward imaging Satan. And the problem of sin does not just corrupt the leaders of structures in a fallen world, husbands, fathers, and masters. It clearly also corrupts those who are being led, wives, children, bondservants, and slaves. So a lack of submission to a husband and a failure to obey parents and to obey masters in everything is sinfully motivated. And more than that, rejection of or rebellion against God-given authorities is a rebellion against God's divine authority. Keith said, wives are to submit to, first and foremost, who? Christ. And last week labored to say, children, obey because it pleases mom. Nope. Because it pleases dad? Nope. Because it pleases the Lord, the Father. So that disobedience against mom and dad, do you remember, is disobedience against God. Slaves, masters as well. This enters into that same thing. So when these bondservants, if they... fall short when they disobeyed this, they are disobeying Christ. All parts from the top 
to the bottom, that's even the way to put that. Those who, who, are, who are stewarded with leadership and those who are stewarded with being led, all parts of all structures in a fallen world occupied by sinful humans will tend toward imaging Satan. Either in the abuse of the authority or in a rejection of authority. It all leads us away from God. But, but, structures in this fallen world can transform into imaging or reflecting God. We can be restored to what was the original design, the original intention. That is the power of Christ's redemption, delivering us from the domain of darkness. That is the effect of his lordship over all things and his reconciling all things to himself. Because now, in Christ, our lives and our homes are transformed. And now, in Christ, husbands can reflect God by loving and leading their wives, and wives can demonstrate submission to God by submitting to their husbands. Fathers can image God by loving and leading their children, and children can please the Lord by obeying their parents. And masters can reflect God the master in their treatment of their slaves or bondservants, while at the same time, slaves or bondservants can serve Christ by serving their masters. This is the transforming power of the gospel as we put to death the sin that corrupts and destroys our relationships from both directions and we put on the newness that is ours in Christ. And we live in the pattern of faith-fueled repentance that enters our homes and enters our relationships, marriages, parenting, and even masters that have bondservants. The gospel transforms through the putting to death what is earthly and putting on that which is new. Let's consider this text a little bit more in detail. What does it call bondservants to do. Verse 22, bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Or you might have a footnote, the masters according to the flesh, which he's, he's saying that because he's, he's going to talk about who their actual master is a little bit later. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And now the sinful, rebellious tendency in the hearts of these bondservants could express itself both in disobedience, it's kind of obvious, right? Obeying everything? No. <laughs> like, well, as a follower of Christ, you're called to do so. But not just expressing itself in disobedience, but can also express itself in fake obedience. And Paul addresses both. He tells them to obey in everything, but then he goes on, not by way, don't obey by way of eye service. That might sound like a strange way to say that, but uh, it, kind of, it means what it sounds like when eyes are on you. Don't just obey when you're being watched. Just because your master happens to be surveying what's happening, that's not the time when you're supposed to just obey. And don't do it just as a people pleaser. This is talking about work that is diligent and careful only when it is watched carefully. Only when it is being checked up on. And in contrast to this, Paul calls for obedience in everything with sincerity of heart. This can be so easy, this lack of sincerity, this eye service, this people-pleasing, 
a duplicity, a falseness inside of us. Be easy to see in the lives of children. I, I heard a couple people mention this, so I don't know if, I'm sure I demonstrated it. I've sinned in so many ways. Uh, but there's that, I'm sitting on the inside. No, I'm sitting on the outside because you told me to, but I'm standing on the inside. Right? Did I say that right? Right? It's like that's not, <laughs> that's not with sincerity of heart. That would be the opposite of that, Right? I'm obeying on the outside, but not on the inside. And then you're not obeying. That's not what the Lord calls us to do. It's wrong. It's sinfully wrong against God to do that. A sincerity of heart will see the work that you are doing. We'll see your work as doing something that is truly pleasing to the Lord, accomplished out of the fear of the Lord, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, he says at the end of verse 22. This idea of the fear of Lord, a phrase used throughout Scripture, encompassing so many aspects of our relationship with God. Inside of that, that maybe a sphere of the fear of the Lord is faith in God, that trust in Him, a love for God, a reverence for God, and a fear of judgment or chastisement from disobeying God. It's all inside of that sphere of the relationship of fearing the Lord. And so we need to be mindful of all aspects of our relationship to God and God's relationship to us in work. Paul continues his exhortation to these bondservants, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. I mean, you really can't get more all-encompassing than that, can you? <laughs> whatever you do. Well, what about this? Is it part of whatever? Yes, then it applies. Well, what's the exception? No exceptions. How many different ways do we need to say this? Everything, whatever you do. And he's clear about the motivation for that too. Whatever you do, work heartily. Here's the motivation. As for the Lord and not for men. And he brings in a gospel piece to it as well. He brings in like a, a, a promise of, of hope and a, and a promise of reward for those who would serve Christ and please the Lord by working heartily, whatever they may do, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. I don't know if you caught this or not. Slaves, bondservants, whoever, they don't inherit from their masters. That's not what happens in that relationship, right? I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Who, who inherits? It's not slaves that inherit. Who inherits? Children, sons, daughters, they're the ones who inherit from their parents. So this inheritance and this reward isn't like, hey, work really hard, do it heartily, do it with a heart, uh, do it in a heartfelt way, and maybe eventually that master that you serve, maybe he'll treat you well. Maybe you'll get a reward from him. No, because that would be payment for work. But you receive the inheritance as your reward. That doesn't come from an earthly master. That comes from God. Slaves, bondservants, remember, as you work, you work heartily, as you obey in everything that you do, remember that you are doing this as sons and daughters of God, and you will receive the inheritance from God as the reward for your labor. 
This isn't just better work conditions or pay. It's not physical at all, because physical, if, if we put it that way, if we think of physical just as relating to the world that we live in now, this inheritance isn't physical. Uh, but if we recognize that, that that which is to come and the ultimate promise that we have is the spiritual and physical brought together, then it is physical. So if you can, can't get past the fact, if, if physical only means right now, then it isn't physical. But if you recognize that it's not like our inheritance, the promise that we have on the new heavens, the new earth, is not also physical and spiritual, right? So depending on your definition of physical, if I confused you, I'm sorry. It's just not right now. Maybe I should just stuck with that. It's, it's a then type of inheritance. Bond servants are to work hardly under their masters for the Lord with the confident expectation of the eternal life with God that awaits them. Work hardly. Why? Because you will be with God and you will inherit from God with Christ all things. They aren't just slaves or bondservants of earthly masters. They are servants of Christ. And more than that, they are, as I said, they are sons of God. And there is a reward for living in faithful obedience and serving Christ. And there is also a punishment, verse 25, for wrongdoing, a judgment that comes without partiality. Well, I understand why you acted that way because you were in this type of relationship. No. Work hardly as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving the Lord Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul shifts to masters. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I love the reminder here that both servants and masters here on earth are all servants when it comes to their relationship with God. There is one Lord. There is one master, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he rules from heaven. Masters who think themselves to be the ultimate authority, answering to no one, Any master who thinks of himself in that way will sinfully abuse that authority and treat their slaves unjustly, unfairly, and with cruelty. Why not? No one can hold them accountable. Ah, but there is one who stands over every human authority, every master. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone will answer to him for the deeds done in their bodies, as we discussed a little bit during training hour today. So masters who think themselves ultimate will satanically and sinfully abuse their authority. But those Christian masters who remember their place under the authority of God, that they have a master in heaven, they will reflect his character and image him in their treatment of their bondservants. And this is all well and good, but none of you are bondservants, (laughs) right? None of you are masters. You're not. That relationship does not exist in the same way in in our society and in our culture. But obviously, this text still applies to us by way of analogy. Employees aren't bondservants, okay? But the text still applies by way of analogy. It's not hard to do that. When you read this text, you probably are like, well, we don't that, but I know I still need to do this. Employees are not bondservants, but you still must carry out your assigned responsibilities at your job guided by these same commands. 
doing what you are told. Check your heart, your motivations, your attitudes. Check for sincerity of heart. Oh, I'm obeying on the outside. I'm seething on the inside. Is that how you serve the Lord Christ? Are you mindful that the Lord Jesus Christ is watching you as you work? And there can be that, oh no, he saw when I did that. But there can also be the other side of that. It's like, ah, he saw when I did that. When When I did what I was told the way that I thought I was supposed to do it, and my boss had gotten chewed out by his boss, and he came and just just ripped into me, made me do it a totally different way, like a whole week of work wasted because now all of a sudden they want to do something different. Right? All those type of arbitrary things that happen in structures and fallen worlds filled by sinful individuals, when all that happens, you're just kind of like, man, what a waste. That like, I, I did have a good attitude. I tried my best. I worked. I was mindful of the Lord, and it was all wiped out to nothing. It was useless. It wasn't useless. Because Jesus saw, right? You're the, the one opinion who matters, whose opinion matters. He saw those type of things. He's watching you as you work. So complete your tasks in the fear of the Lord. Whether you clean toilets, sweep floors, stock shelves, build houses, wash dishes, build machinery, deliver pizzas, babysit children, adjust patients, <laughs> Answer phone calls, clean laundry, or teach classes, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And never forget the gospel in all of your work. Don't merely look forward to getting your paycheck. Learn the certainty of your eternal inheritance to motivate you in your work. Oh, I've got to go to that job again. I've got to do this again. This is pointless. This is ignored. No one appreciates it. Okay, but it's not true because Jesus is watching. Your master doesn't miss a single moment of service offered in his name. You are serving him and he is the one who will reward you with the inheritance. So whatever your job is, you are serving the Lord Christ. Working at home, working out of the home, you are serving the Lord Christ. Working at a job or working at school, you are serving the Lord Christ. And in the same way, employers are not masters. Managers, bosses, supervisors might feel like they are. They might think that they are, but they aren't. They are not masters, but... Wherever you are over others uh, at your job, you must treat them justly and fairly. Not arbitrarily, spitefully, abusively. You must keep in mind that you are not ultimate, no matter what the name badge or the business card says. You are not ultimate. Christ is ultimate. There's all sorts of types of authority, aren't they? Right there? Wherever you may have authority, do you exercise it justly and fairly like Christ has treated you? And this applies to so many different spheres or structures in our lives. Husbands leading wives, parents leading children, employers or managers with employees, teachers with students. Treat 
teachers, treat your students justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master and a teacher in heaven. Older siblings with younger siblings. Eldest children. Now I'm a youngest child. So my sin was in like despising authorities over me. Eldest siblings. You know who you are. And you know how power hungry you can be. And how you long to wield that authority and delight in your younger siblings having to do exactly what you said. That is not treating those under your minuscule amounts of authority justly and fairly. That is not being mindful of the fact that you answer to Jesus. We are all, all of us, we are power-hungry sinners, eager to lord over anyone and everyone that we can. Give the slightest amount of authority, and we look forward to wielding it, striking down, letting everybody else know what we are. But you have not learned Christ in this way. You have not been treated like that by Christ. We must treat others according to how we have been treated and how we would like to be treated. Forgive as you have been forgiven. That's doing unto others as we have been treated and do to others as you would have them do to you. They're the two sides. How has God treated you? How would you like to be treated? And in those things, ethics just flows out of that right? Christian ethics. We must treat others according to how we have been treated. We must do to others as we would like to be treated. So in all of these things, you are serving the Lord Christ. And that's the truth of it. We talked about this sort of briefly in either Thanksgiving or whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. There is a greater, always, 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 there is a greater spiritual reality to everything that we do. It's not just now. It's not just what we can see. Both bondservants and masters, employees and employers, students and homemakers and self-employed entrepreneurs, all of us must do all of our work for the glory of Christ. And we can Remember we said that? It's not just missionaries, it's moms, it's not just pastors, it's plumbers. That all work, it is possible in Christ to do all work for the glory of God. For his praise, for his glory. And we must do that. And we do this by reflecting his character in what we do and in how we do it. And we glorify him by being ever mindful of his presence with us while we work. Not a moment of your life, not a moment of your work, whatever your work is. Not a moment of it are you ever alone. And again, that can be like, oh, no, right? But it, yes, because of sin, but it can also be like, oh, yes. Like when I was misunderstood, like when my words were, were twisted, when I was lied about, Jesus knows the truth, right? So there's the glory in the fact that he sees and knows that he's our master and that ultimately everything will be made clear and made right. We glorify him by being ever mindful of his presence with us while we work. God sees what you do. 
And he knows what you are accomplishing for him. And he is pleased because your work is sanctified by the blood of Jesus. And there's one additional and astounding point I want to make. I just couldn't move past as I thought about uh, this particular text. Jesus has always been Lord of all. Jesus is our Lord and Master. The Master that we have in heaven. Whether we're a master, whether we're a servant, Jesus is the one that we are serving. You are serving the Lord Christ. And yet, Jesus became a servant to us and for us. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. We read of this servanthood of Jesus in Philippians 2. The eternal Son of God took the form of a servant, being made, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, dying for our sins. And by God's providence, my Bible reading today led me to John 13 through 15, which was a passage I already was thinking about. Love it when that aligns so well. Jesus, right? Think Colossians 1 about Jesus, right? Do we need to read it again? The image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. And then at the Last Supper in John chapter 13, Jesus took off his garments, wrapped himself with a towel, and went around the table, washing his disciples' dirty feet. A task reserved for the lowest of household servants. Jesus didn't tell Peter to do it. Jesus didn't ask John to do it. Jesus didn't make Judas to do it. Jesus did it. And then he told them, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. Lord, Master, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And it isn't actually about the feet, right? If I have served you, you must serve each other. I have given you example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus served us. Can't miss that in any of these relationships, that Jesus served us. And he calls us not just to serve God, but also to serve one another. And so as we come to our Lord's table, our master's table, where we are invited and welcomed, that's a whole other passage. I've got this whole other sermon I didn't even write for your sake, sort of. The, the privilege that we have of being called into the service of the Lord. And it's this astonishing passage in Luke where we're going to be called together. This is me not doing this. This is just amazing. It, it's just, this theme is incredible. Servants, servants of Christ, waiting for our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come. And he says in Luke 12, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, when has this ever happened? 
he will dress himself, the master, will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Jesus continues to serve us. Jesus continues to promise that when, when we've come as his bride, as the children of God, we should come into his presence as, as no more than a doorkeeper, and yet he comes and says, come to my table, recline, I want to serve you. Like, the privilege is just astonishing. Unfathomable. But as we, as we come called by our master to come to his table, we must remember that he lived and died loving and serving us, giving himself as a ransom for us. And then, when we remember that, we will go forth and serve him. And we also must remember as we come to this table that serving him involves loving and serving each other, specifically those who are seated around you. The one who's in front of you in line, one who's behind you in line, that you are called to serve Christ by serving them. I am called to serve Christ by serving you. Those very ones that will come with you now to this table to receive the bread and the cup as the body and blood of our Lord. We must serve Christ in all that we do. And we must serve one another. And in doing that, whatever master, servant, or parent, or children, or husband, or wife, like when we see ourselves as having received from God and then that impacts our relationship to each other, then we will reflect God. We will image Him. We will glorify Him as we were created to do, and as those very relationships were created to picture. As the gospel has entered our homes, and it changes everything. And has it changed everything for you? Father, husband, master, we owe everything to you. You owe nothing to us, yet you have lavished grace on us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We only, we only know and only received a small down payment of the inheritance that we have promised to us. We have you, and we have all things in you. And you will be glorified in that. Please keep us mindful of this as we go about our, our work, our labor, whatever that might be. May we serve the Lord Christ. Thank you for this table. Thank you for Jesus who took on the form of a servant becoming like us and became obedient to the point of death so we could be forgiven. Uh, please transform us by this glorious gospel. Amen. Uh,